arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. to the magical Brigadoon coastline of Prince William County, New Hampshire, an enchanting coastal area with brilliant blue Atlantic waters, east-facing sandy beaches and spectacular sunrises, a surface delight before a nor'easter, or hang glide into the crisp autumn air. Shop old colonial Prince William and its historic ambience, or canoe into the Devonshire Hills overlooking Prince William or the rural village of Newtown, perhaps the college town of Hamilton with generations of the Hall and Fletcher families spanning the centuries. With Hamilton College, the area's hallmark of higher learning and competitive collegiate sports, beautiful suburban living, interdispersed with colonial architecture and New England town commons. The coastline of New Hampshire, a wonderful place to visit, but a heavenly place to set about. Rest in Peace, Bill Jones. Chapter 14. Aunt May's Farmhouse, 322 Old Wabash Road, Wabash Corners, Indiana. Jones settled in Dad's theater chair while Aunt May and Coco sat on the couch. Coco's leg, stitched and pain lessened, was propped up on the kitchen chair as per Aunt May's instructions. The network had announced an FBI press conference from Cleveland, and they hinted that Frank Gautowski might be indicted. A grouping of reporters had gathered before a podium and a blue background. I'm sorry, Aunt May. We had no choice. We couldn't call you. Well, Donovan made a few calls. He wouldn't be specific, but he said you're okay. Coco raised his dark brows and chuckled. (laughs) I wouldn't exactly say we were okay. They questioned us under oath, and we have to go back, said Jones. You're alive, she said. A young man with a loosened tie checked the microphone. And you tracked down Gautowski. Donovan, in his blue suit and dark tie, swept into view, accompanied by several agents in baseball caps and puffy winter vests. At least two dozen men in suits and three women in professional garb formed a ring behind Donovan. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Mark Donovan of Federal Bureau of Investigation. I've been working with agents of the FBI as well as local law enforcement and others. Yeah, that's you guys, said Aunt May. Last September 18th, an investigator was assigned to help our office button up testimony from a crucial witness whose life is in danger. We can say with certainty now that that investigator, Bill Jones, lost his life in pursuit of that testimony. Oh, Bill, it's not the way you wanted to make the national news, said Aunt May. Dad would be upset they got him, said Jones. What the hell, said Coco. Look what he had against him, Jonesy. Yeah, Jonesy, said Aunt May. Donovan took a deep breath. We have an extensive indictment here, which will be outlined by both federal and district attorneys here in in Indiana. The subject of that indictment is Local 4 President Frank Marvin Gautowski. Marvin? asked Coco. Arrested this morning was Congressman Warren Alex Sherman, federal charges of which are pending against him in the District of Columbia. Frankie Ski is singing, said Coco. 
They always do, said Aunt May. What about Lester, asked Jones. Why isn't he charged? With what, asked Coco, being the dumbest man on the face of the earth? I find it hard to believe that he trailed you out here, Coco, said Aunt May. Do you think his father put him up to it? Coco's dark eyes opened wide. Locke Lawson is a bumbling fool. He hasn't got the smarts to do what Fishface does. He's too busy reminiscing. Donovan looked into the camera. While I can't reveal the inner workings of this investigation, I want those who put their lives on the line to know that I not only appreciate your determination and perseverance, but more than that, your courage. Aunt May crossed the room and hugged Jones. He would have been proud. Jones nodded and wiped his eye. Listen, we have to be at the airport by 10. Personally, I just want to be back on my home turf, said Coco. And your mama's home cooking, said Aunt May. Yeah, Coco stood. Why don't you come back with us, Aunt May? Sometimes the little birds have to leave the nest, she said. Jones got out of the chair. Tweet, tweet. One more thing, Matthias. And what's that, Aunt May? Stephanie. Ah, I can't wait to hear this one said Coco. Well, she said she overreacted. <laughs> you think? asked Coco. She wants to talk it over. Don't do it, Jonesy. Don't let her pull one of her stunts. You'll be wearing a bow tie for the rest of your life. He's right, said Aunt May. Does she know where I'm going? Aunt May put her index finger over her lips. Mum's the word. Jones closed his eyes after the plane banked, displaying the Manhattan skyline in the late afternoon sun far below. New York always bothers me, Jonesy, said Coco, gazing out the window. Your brother Anthony, yeah. He's missing, isn't he? Coco tightened his brow as he looked away from Manhattan so far below. You know, there are bastards in this world that you can only beat if you destroy them. I mean, like Frankie Ski, he nodded. You can't destroy them unless you know what you're doing. Or get lucky. Jones turned the page of the spring edition of the baseball magazine. The afternoon sun cut across the page. And now you got a root for the Red Sox. Coco, I haven't even taken the job yet. You will. We'll see. He stared at Donovan's black ink card. Having a link with the FBI kept him connected to Dad. It wasn't until the plane banked over Connecticut toward New Hampshire that Jones really thought about this Hamilton College and the prospect of being a college coach. The autumn photos of the website in the small New England town, nestled between the New Hampshire hills and the ocean, had intrigued him. He removed a folded piece of paper from his Wabash Corners jacket. The local police chief, Strickland, said he'd meet him at the airport. The Fletcher's paint factory was in Prince William, but their home was in Hamilton, and was atop a hill overlooking Hamilton, the Atlantic Ocean, and Prince William. Just talking with Hamilton Fletcher demonstrated he controlled the town of Hamilton and Hamilton College. Do you know this George Strickland? Yeah, Strickland's okay. He's in Hamilton. I'm in Prince William. We both know Gallagher. The priest? Yeah, I like Gallagher a lot. As the jet veered north, Jones remained troubled by Lester. Where is Lester? Gone. Even Donovan was confounded by his disappearance. I heard from Bruno, my head bartender, that Herbert Lane questioned Lawson about Fishface. Scared the hell out of him. What did he tell Herbert Lane? He repeated what the dummy told him. He's on some vacation trip. 
playing Carl Lawson, a windbag and a buffoon, living in a delusion. Yeah, for 41 years. Rest in peace, Bill Jones. Chapter 15. Main Airport Concourse, Manchester, New Hampshire. At the airport, a white BMW had pulled up to the curb earlier. A dark-haired driver named Bruno acknowledged Coco with a nod. Coco went around to the passenger side. As he climbed inside, he invited Jones over to his club. But Jones was scheduled to be picked up by the Hamilton police chief, and later he had a meeting with Hamilton Fletcher. Jonesy, let me get settled and then we'll get together. Thanks for all you did, said Jones. Coco gave him the thumb-lock handshake through the open window. Are you kidding? You saved my ass a dozen times. But it's over, Jonesy. It's over. Say hello to the old man. I'll catch up with you later. Jones smiled as Bruno maneuvered the BMW around the concourse. Jones carried his overnight bag over his shoulder and back to the baggage area. Ahead was a donut concession for Big Mama's Donuts. Company banner had a photo of some woman, probably Big Mama, screaming. While he waited for Chief Strickland, he ordered a cup of coffee and a muffin and wondered what the future would hold. Aunt May saying that his dad would have carried him to the airport for this job made him smile. He threw the empty coffee cup, also with Big Mama's photo on the styrofoam, into the trash barrel and paced around the lower area. A few minutes later, he spotted a lanky, dark-haired policeman near the baggage carousel. The blue patch on his brown uniform read Hamilton Police in gold letters. As Jones moved toward the carousel, the man began running away and moving around the baggage. Jones exhaled in reverse direction, but the man also reversed direction and spoke into a walkie-talkie. 10-4, George, 10-4, no sign of subject. Excuse me, said Jones, tapping his shoulder. The walkie-talkie reverberated. Wendell, flight just landed. Relax. Well, what if he missed the flight, George? I checked the list, Wendell. You'll see him. He's 5'11", brown hair and eyes, dressed in a green and white jacket. Excuse me, Wendell, said Jones, hitting his arm again. Listen, bud, can't you see we have police business going on here? He shouted into the walkie-talkie. I'll walk the perimeter, George. Just stay by the carousel, Wendell. Whatever. Then he turned to Jones. How do you know my name? I heard it on your radio. Jones extended his hand. Whoa, hold your horses, partner. I'm an officer of the law. Then he squinted at Jones. You seem familiar. I'm Matthias Jones. Wendell looked perplexed. Well, have you got any ID? What? How do I know you're Matthias Jones? Oh, come on, said Jones, taking out his wallet. He removed his license. A broad-shouldered cop, shorter than Jones, rushed into the airport. He stopped for a second and pushed his fingers through his dark hair as he shook his head. Wendell, what the hell are you doing? Wendell spoke into his walkie-talkie. Well, I'm verifying the identity of this guy claiming to be Matthias Jones. That is Jones, you boob, said Strickland as he approached. Wendell furrowed his brow, checked the license, and then looked at Jones. Oh, Wendell handed the license back to Jones. Mr. Jones, I'm George Strickland. Sorry for the screw-up. He had a firm handshake. Matthias, this is my deputy, Donald Duck. Jones tilted his head back and laughed. Very funny, George. I'm Wendell Harris. Wendell, said Jones, still smiling. Strickland revved the engine and drove the cruiser up the ramp onto a towering green-girded bridge. 
Below, a wide river tapered out and into the ocean. The spread of city buildings backdropped the vessels along the docks. Wendell blabbed on his cell phone in the back seat. I've never seen the ocean, said Jones. Really, said Strickland. Lived in the Midwest all my life. Hey, baby, said the goofy Wendell, his large teeth protruding as he spoke. I can give you exactly what you want. Wendell, yelled Strickland, looking over his shoulder. Get off that phone. Yeah, he's pissed, said Wendell. Call you back later. Grrr. You know, Wendell, I can put you back on bike patrol. Well, I got my bad back. My heart goes out to you. Strickland pointed toward the city buildings beyond the bridge's green girders. Well, this is Prince William, Matthias. Wendell leaned into the front seat. Yeah, the crosstown city. Why crosstown, asked Jones. Newtown and Prince William have a zigzag border in the river. Where's Club Max? asked Jones, studying the wide silver waterway. Oh, wild place, said Wendell, still laughing. I was with a babe there at three in the morning. She asked me to... Wendell, said Strickland. I understand you have a camaraderie with Coco Stefani, Matthias, but Club Max is a rough place. Agent Donovan told me he was sending a report out to you from Cleveland. I read it. Tracking down your father's killer with Coco almost cost you both your lives, said Strickland. And killed, said Wendell. All I'm saying is Coco runs with a tough crowd. I'm aware of that. Although Father Gallagher likes him for some reason. Sure, Coco gives St. Bart's money. On the far side of the bridge, along a narrow canal, Strickland zoomed over a side road up a hill. At the top of the hill, the tower of a graystone church came into view in the distance. Is that St. Bart's? asked Jones as the road leveled out to a straight boulevard. It is. Gallagher wanted to meet you. He's a huge Hamilton sports fan and always has boys coming up through the parish, and they usually get taken away by other colleges. Lark doesn't like shelling out money, said Wendell. Gallagher will try and sign you up. I haven't even taken the job yet, Wendell. <laughs> you will, said Strickland. Half an hour with Hamilton Fletcher, and you'll become an indentured servant. Strickland signaled into the parking lot of a dark gray Victorian. Jones read the sign out front. St. Bartholomew's Roman Catholic Church, Father James M. Gallagher. Strickland parked the cruiser, and all three men started up the front walk. Gallagher's housekeeper came to the front door when Strickland rang the bell. Oh, Chief Strickland, Father Jim's in the parish hall. Well, we can come back. No, I have orders from Father to send you over. I know what that means. He motioned to Jones. This is the new coach at Hamilton, Matthias Jones. This is Genevieve. We all love Lark Larson. Strickland rolled his eyes and led Jones away. Well, the whole town loves Lark. He just can't seem to win. I like to win, said Jones. Yeah, I heard you slap your players around, said Wendell. That's ridiculous, replied Jones. Where did you hear that, Wendell? Arnie Dewars said he read it online. I wouldn't give a plug nickel for anything Arnie Dewars says. Strickland led them along a walk to a building with upper glass windows. He opened the door to a basketball practice. A tall, orange-haired man in a gray sweatshirt threw his elbows and took down a rebound. He passed the ball down court. Then he caught sight of Strickland and called time out. He was a couple of inches taller than Jones. Dice Jones, I'm Jim Gallagher. Sounds as though you two had enough adventure to last a lifetime. And we got something the Bible talks about, Father. 
justice. Now, Matthias was, according to the Acts of the Apostles, the apostle chosen by Lot to replace Judas Iscariot following Judas's betrayal of Jesus. I can clearly see that analogy, Father, said Strickland. Well, if I take the job, I will win games. Oh, once you visit Fletcher Hill, you'll take the job. So I've been told. St. Bart's has church teams. We've sent several boys to Hamilton and other colleges. I've got one boy who's a senior who can throw 94 miles an hour. What's his name? Jimmy Budafino. We call him Buddha. So, Father, you're a scout as well as a priest. Father beat up a lot of guys, Wendell. Oh, I was an amateur boxer. Impressive, Father. Jim. Jones gave him the thumbs up. Now I have two or three requests. You always know where Father stands, said Strickland. Number one, dinner tonight at the Colonial House. I'll pay. Well, I can't pass that up. Second, season's tickets to all the football games. I can do that if... What's the third? Monsignor Nowicki in Indiana said I'd see you in church this weekend. You don't mince words, do you, Father? You win the trifecta. Okay, I'm getting back to practice, he said as they threw him a ball. Remember, Jimmy Budafino. Good luck with Hamilton Fletcher. Devonshire Hills separated Prince William and Hamilton. Only rising to 1,200 feet, the hills formed bumps on the countryside west of Hamilton. The town buildings were readily apparent in the small valley, leading to more hills to the northeast. A river disappeared between the hills and led to the brilliant blue ocean east of town. A long center building and brick buildings formed the college, and a small stadium and athletic fields spread out just below the center of town. Strickland slowed on the side streets near the stadium. Field have a name, George? No, it's just the stadium, but Hamilton is thinking of calling it Larson Stadium. You a hometown guy? asked Jones. I am. My wife Mary and I have a house along the shore. We were born and brought up here, he said as he pulled onto Main Street. A red pickup swerved out of the road leading to the beach. Strickland jammed on the brakes and then flipped the lights on. A tarp flew out of the back of the truck and partially blocked the cruiser windshield for several seconds. Who is that? asked Jones. Muddy Jacobs. <laughs> Another liquid lunch. He turned to Wendell as Muddy fishtailed over. Wendell, drive Muddy over to Big Mama's Donuts and sober him up. Can I put it on my expenses, George? What? Just get in that truck. Strickland passed the truck as Wendell got in. Then he waved at the shot heavy man, wiping his hands with a rag at the gas station to the right. That's Pudgy, Pudgy Wilson. We went to school with him. This sure is a small town. It is, but I'll tell you one thing. It would be great to win games again. Always is. On Route 7, north of town, Strickland turned left at the horse stables and farm on the right. A narrow asphalt road with ornate street lamps wound up through the woods. Ahead, a mammoth blue lumber truck moved backward at a fast clip around the next curb. That stupid idiot! Strickland turned the cruiser lights and siren on and then shifted in reverse. The truck's brakes squealed and the tires slid right up to the bumper. Why was he going backward? asked Jones, looking up to a load of studs and plywood shadowing the cruiser. Where do I begin? Cab door open, a skinny guy with a bulbous nose and black-rimmed glasses stormed down the road shoulder. He wore a blue baseball cap, blue pinstriped shirt, and navy pants. Strickland was already out of the car. 
Arnie, you almost wiped us out. Jones stepped out of the cruiser. Yeah, well, you should pay attention to where you're driving, George. You need any help? Hey, are you Demetrius Johnson? Matthias Jones. The truck's emergency brake made a cranking noise and the lumber shook as the truck lurched. Arnie, get the damn truck off the hill, yelled Strickland. Ah, you worry too much. Arnie lit a cigarette and turned to Jones. So, you're the guy that's stealing Lock Lawson's job. What? The truck made a cranking noise. What kind of a remark is that? Touchy, touchy. Arnie, said Strickland, I'm about to ground all your trucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arnie threw his cigarette into the shoulder mulch. Then he walked back to the cab. Fletchers have lots of cash. Hold out for the big bucks. Jones faced Strickland. That guy is a fool. Get him, Matthias. If I don't back up, he'll run me down. Jones looked at the smoldering mulch to his left. Wait, I have to put out that cigarette. Jones trotted to the shoulder and stomped on the mulch. He waved his hand through the smoky air. Strickland quickly shifted, and the cruiser started down just as Arnie released the brake. The truck rolled back, and Jones looked up at Arnie. Hey, you shouldn't throw a lighted cigarette into the woods. What are you, the fire marshal? You better go do some good deeds in this town after you threw out a legend like Lock Lawson to the curb. Arnie ground the gears and the truck strained as he started up the hill again. Jones returned to the cruiser. He and Strickland stared at each other. George, that guy is out of control. Well, that's about the nicest thing I could say about him right now. Ever since Arnie started running Dewar's Lumber, there's been nothing but trouble. His father had a superb business head. Yeah, and Arnie's a dunderhead, said Jones, and Strickland produced a hearty laugh. I'm just going to wait here one minute, said Strickland as he took out his cell phone. Hello, Hollings. Yes, we have an appointment with Hamilton. Right. He's with me right now. We were blocked by the Dewar's lumber truck. He's coming up there now? Has he stopped? Okay, we'll be right up. Is he off the road? asked Jones. He's parked the truck near the garage off the estate, said Strickland as he moved forward. I had my doubts whether we'd make the appointment. Less than a minute later, a vast spread of green extended from the drive, forming a front lawn that rolled toward the woods. The linear estate itself, comprised of brick and wood, had a series of second-floor windows and a larger room that followed the south lawn. The Devonshire hills and countryside undulated toward Prince William and the ocean. Jones left the cruiser, taken back by the size of the estate. Strickland walked around the hood and continued along the doer's truck. He hopped up on the running boards and checked the cab. He shrugged his shoulders at Jones. Who knows where he is, said Strickland, motioning Jones up the drive. In the garage were three light-colored SUVs. Jones walked along the drive and stepped through the Greek columns and onto the portico. Both wide cherry doors opened and a thin man with receding hair smiled at Strickland. He wore butler's clothes and had glistening shoes. Good afternoon, George. Hollings, how are you? Fine, sir. Please meet Matthias Jones. Pleasure, Mr. Jones. He shook Jones's hand. Hollings, please come with me, Mr. Fletcher and Hammer in the study. He turned to Jones as they walked across a marble tiled foyer and into a voluminous hall. I trust your flight was well, Mr. Jones. Matthias, and yes, smooth flight said Jones, observing the drawing room's parquet floor to his left. Hollings swept outward in front of a white, glass-framed atrium door. He motioned them inside the study. A steely, gray-haired man in a white polo shirt 
leaned over his keyboard as a younger, dark-haired man crossed his arms and studied the screen. To Jones's left was a bright window display overlooking the hills and Prince William. Another set of atrium doors overlooked the backyard grass to the pool. Workers moved about some type of construction on the far side of the pool. Mr. Fletcher, Mr. Jones, and Chief Strickland have arrived. Hamilton Fletcher pointed out something on the screen. Then both men spun around. The younger man had a wide smile as he looked over Jones, while the older man, pencil mustache evident, swung upward with his arm extended. Well, this is indeed a pleasure, my boy. On behalf of the entire Fletcher family in the town of Hamilton, let me extend a hearty welcome to you. Thank you, Mr. Fletcher. Nice to meet you. George, you can go. Strickland's face tightened as he headed from the hall. Nice to meet you, Matthias. Well, thanks for picking me up, George. We've been searching for a winner like you, Matthias. What you did with your team was outstanding. Dark-haired man stepped forward. This is my son, Ham. Mr. Jones, welcome. Nice to meet you, Ham. Let's nix the formalities. Hollings, drinks all around. Yes, sir. You have a beautiful house, Mr. Fletcher. Right. Mr. Jones, I have a problem. Lark Larson's coaching has made Hamilton College sports a disgrace. I don't like losers, Jones. The image of the college reflects on my family and the town. And then the college generates money also. Having winning teams will increase our revenues and attract a greater student body at a higher tuition. It'll take time, I know. You've shown your ability to compete on a national level. Thank you, sir. A raven-haired maid approached with a tray of snub-nosed glasses filled with liquor and ice. Thank you, Juanita, said Hamilton Fletcher. By the way, this is Coach Matthias Jones. Sir? Juanita, said Jones, taking a drink from the tray. He immediately discovered he was drinking straight scotch. Outside, Hollings ran across the grass and opened the atrium doors. Sir, it's Mr. Dewars. He's driving his vehicle across the grass. Why, of all the impertinence! Hamilton set down his glass and stomped toward the hall. No, sir, out back. I'm afraid he's going to drive into the pool. Ham's eyes opened wide. Both men ran for the atrium doors. Jones meandered along behind. The rear of the doors truck was now positioned around 15 feet from a long concrete pool. Dirt formed from a deepening groove in the grass and spun upward and into the pool itself. Jones took another sip of the scotch. Doers, you nincompoop! Jones and Ham moved along the colorful wildflower garden. Dad spend a lot of money keeping these grounds perfect. Tires stopped spinning. Arnie emerged from the back of the truck. How could you be so damn stupid? <laughs> Easy, said Arnie. Strickland blocked me out. Hamilton pointed at the long crevice in the ground. Now, what have you got to say for yourself? Arnie lit a cigarette. Plant some wildflowers. Get out of here. I'll have this crate towed off the premises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hamilton retreated by Jones and Ham. Everyone, back inside. Ham smiled and Jones returned the smile. He looked toward the truck and then followed Ham inside. Should I call a towing company, sir? Have it towed to Prince William. Let doers go find it. Yes, sir. Now, Jones, I have a favor to ask. Sure, we have a slight problem. Jones was not sure he would even take the job. What is that? Lark is having denial about retiring, said Ham. Hamilton took a drink and walked around with a drink in his hand. 
sits around his office all day at the gym, planning out next year's football strategy. How old is he? asked Jones. Well, I don't rightly know. Old! It's time for Locke to retire so he and Flo can see the world, said Ham. Flo? His girlfriend, said Hamilton, finishing the drink. I know you're not on the payroll yet, but we can backdate a check. Oh, my salary at Wabash Connors. Oh, we'll triple that with bonuses for winning. And we'll arrange for you to get a house and a car. Jones was stunned at the price tag. Well, I just want to win. That's the spirit, my boy. Outside, the truck engine roared as Arnie rocked the truck on the grass. The tires gained traction, and the truck raced back at high speed, descending into the pool and dumping the lumber in the water. Hamilton stared incredulously out the atrium doors. I'll sue his ass. Rest in peace, Bill Jones, epilogue. Hamilton College Campus, Hamilton, New Hampshire. After listening to a 200-year history of the Fletcher, Hamilton, and Hall families, both in England and the United States, Jones was driven in a coffee-colored brown Mercedes by the Dean of Students, Nigel Kent. Nigel had thick gray hair and was dressed impeccably in a gray suit and red tie. He sounded a bit snobbish, but affable. Locke has been here a long time. Too long, I'm afraid, Matthias. It's an odd thing. The town absolutely loves Locke. He's a wonderful man, but he's seen better days, I think. Jones studied the aluminum bleachers in the small stadium. To his left was a baseball field and a shaker-like building deep in center field under the trees. A long brick building extended to the street. As Nigel drove toward more athletic fields, Jones spotted the gymnasium across the street from the practice fields. Nigel signaled and pulled up next to a mammoth brown sedan with a red Hamilton sticker in the rear window. Jones had a sinking feeling when he saw the license plate. Coach. He's been in there all day long, even when the students are on vacation. Jones figured he could convince Locke to retire, but was not sure whether he would take the job. More of concern was the whereabouts of Locke's runaway son. Nigel opened the glass door. Ahead was a gray tile corridor that led to the locker room door. To his right was a huge gymnasium with plexiglass backboards and a shiny wood floor. The varnished bleaches were folded up. Nigel opened the locker room door. Ahead, amidst the lockers, was a glassed-in office lighted by fluorescent overhead lights. A man with neatly combed white hair and silver-rimmed glasses sat in an oak desk. He thumbed through a book. On the wall were dozens of photos and a small TV in the corner. When the door opened, he looked over his shoulder. Hello, Lark, said Nigel. Oh, just browsing through the years, he said in a whimsical voice. Now Jones felt bad and didn't know how he'd handle the situation. Lark, I'm Matthias Jones. Oh! Lark stood up quickly. He rounded the table and zipped up his beige jacket. I see the U.S. Cavalry has finally arrived, old boy. He shook Jones's hand but kept shaking. On the wall to the left were several photos of Lester in his goggle glasses. I see Lester in the pictures. Oh, you know the chip off the old block. Well, not personally, said Jones. I saw him on the website. Shame he took an extended vacation. He's been trout fishing up in Saskatchewan. That right. Well, I hope he had a good vacation. Right-o. Jones peered down at the old Hamilton College yearbook. I bet you're in a lot of yearbooks, Lark. You bet you're bippy I am, answered Lark, returning to the desk. 
Lark, I'll let you two get acquainted, said Nigel. Oh, yes, Nigel, said Lark. Matthias and I can talk about the Hamilton heritage and all the big games. Nigel waved at Jones and opened his eyes as he left. Lark had a yearbook from 30 years ago. Jones smiled when he saw a dark-haired Lark on the sidelines of a football game. Looks like it was a close game. Oh, very close. This was the bombs away game. Brownie Plimpton, when he recovered, threw the big one. Well, that's great. How many yards was the drive? Well, it didn't really work out that way. The ball was intercepted and St. Pat's went for 92 yards. Brownie stood in the same spot for eight hours after the game. Oh, eight hours. Jones panned the pictures again. Looks like you've had quite the career, Lark. I've enjoyed every second. Jones felt bad now that he was taking Lark's position. How old are you, Lark? Older than you and younger than Methuselah. Oh, still a lot of games left in my bag of tricks. Oh. Lark stood and pulled out a stack of yearbooks from the shelf and then sat down in his shaky oak chair. This will give me a chance to familiarize you with the college's past, old boy. Oh. Jones walked into the gym. His cell was pressed against his ear. Jonesy, I'm getting ready to drive over to Hamilton. Coco, we've gone through 17 yearbooks. He's not going anywhere. He thinks I'm here to help him. Listen, I have to make a call to old man Fletcher. I'll straighten this whole thing out and I'll call you back. Okay. Jones held the cell in his hand as he walked along the bleachers. For the first time, he realized that this is where he wanted to be. He pictured the future, running up and down the sidelines during a basketball game with the extended bleachers packed with fans. Outside, he saw the stadium in the late afternoon light. In his mind were red and white uniforms on a cool autumn day. To his left, he could almost hear the crack of a bat at the baseball field in front of the Shaker building. Even the campus building and dorms up the hills and the little town with its town common, nestled between the hills and shore, had a beckoning quality for his future. The phone rang. I'm in the Beamer. It's all set. What's all set? Bring Lawson down to the Colonial House. I don't even know where the Colonial House is. Well, Lawson knows. The old man will be there. Really? Yeah, really. He's not going to leave the coach's office. Tell him to bring his flaky girlfriend and tell him the meal is free. Jones gripped the seatbelt and door handled the elongated brown car as Locke zoomed through town. Oh, I've had this car for 25 years, old boy. Still can crank over it just like its owner. Or at least Flo thinks so. Flo? My snookums, my one and only. Well, kind of my one and only. Locke, you don't need to tell me your personal life. Locke took the corner at 52 miles an hour on the dashboard speedometer. Locke, perhaps you should slow down a bit. I'll never slow down. I won't do it. He drove with one hand and leaned over toward Jones. Are you sure this meal is free? It's free, it's free, said Jones, as Locke nearly sideswiped two cars on Main Street. Well, the best things in life are free, I always say. Then he jammed on the brakes and Jones's belt tightened as he was thrust forward. Then Locke spun the wheel as he went over the curb in front of the Colonial House. He shut off the engine, but it just kept chugging for at least half a minute. Jones leaped onto the curb and shut the huge door. A woman in a flowery dress stepped outside. She had pitch black, round eyes. Hello, Snookums. Locke gave her a cutesy wave and then walked up to her and kissed her long enough for Jones to be embarrassed. Oh, Snookums, this is Matthias Jones. 
I'm not talking to Mr. Jones, said the slender Flo. Why not? asked Jones. She moved her glossy red lipstick over her little teeth. Oh, I think you know why, bully. Bully? She raised up her nose into the air and took Lark by the elbow. Then she whispered something to Lark. No, no, it's free, Snookums. The door closed as Jones grinned and he panned back to the common and houses beyond. There was a white steepled church on the hill at the far end and a stone clock tower below. He was drawn to the for sale sign on the white colonial on this end of the common. A picket fence and a front walkway led up to a red door. The house looked like New England, with white clapboards and black shutters. A brick chimney ascended over the first and second floors near Evergreens along Shore Road. The colonial house's door opened and Coco, in leather pants and a dark shirt, stepped outside. He lit a cigarette. What are you doing hanging out here, Jonesy? I've just had four hours of cruising down memory lane with Lark Larson. I'd be ready to jump off the Crosstown Bridge if I had to spend ten minutes with Larson. Coco, I saw photos of Lester all over his office. Lark thinks he's up in Canada on a fishing trip. <laughs> yeah, right. We don't have to worry about Fishface coming back here. He's all done. How come the cops don't have him? Because he's a little slime ball. He's on the lam. Maybe he is in Canada. Who cares? Forget about him. Coco threw the cigarette to the sidewalk and snuffed it out with his shoe. The old man should be here soon and we can wrap this up with Lawson. What's up? <laughs> You'll see. Fletcher is 100% on board. Well, I think I'm ready to take the job. No kidding. The old man changed your mind? No, I just knew. I was ready. That's good news, Jonesy. Let's go in. Jones moved inside with his friend. Coco opened the inner door. The restaurant was divided into two sections and a larger section in back. A tall waitress with short red hair backed into Jones as Coco walked ahead. Jones looked into her green eyes. Oh, where have you been all my life? She asked and then produced a large smile. Waiting for you to back into me. Are you the new coach? Now, how do you know that? This is a small town, Matthias Jones. She extended her hand. I'm Franny. Well, you already know who I am. What can I get for you? I could use a good meal. What, are you homeless? You could say that, said Jones, laughing. I could use a good steak. And mashed potatoes? Exactly. Corn and peas, hot bread. She pointed with both her index fingers at him. You got it. And you look like a coffee man. Light and sweet. Why, thank you, she said with the same smile. Thanks, said Jones, returning the smile. He walked along the booths. Lark sat with Flo in the corner booth. Coco took a position near one of the support poles. Jones slid around the booth. A sandy-haired man with a rusty beard leaned over from the next booth. His wife and children sat around the table as Locke regaled Flo with his stories. Coach, uh, my name's Leo Crawley. Hi, Leo. I heard Lester Larson might be coming back to Hamilton. Where did you hear that? A local guy. You don't know him. Arnie Dewars. No, I met Mr. Dewars this afternoon. My point is, if Lester doesn't come back... Well, if you need help with the equipment or your teams, I'd like to volunteer. Well, that's nice of you, Leo. Lester isn't coming back. Sure, I can use all the help I can get. Thank you. Jones stepped out of the booth and up to Coco. How did Doers know anything about Lester Larson? Ah, he's always coming up with gossip. He sounds a little weird. That's because he is weird. Listen, the old man has agreed to Larson and whatever she is to go on a world cruise. Get him out of town as you take over. Well, that's a good plan. I don't think I can get an athletic program off the ground with Lark taking me on a continuous tour of his life. 
Coco rolled his eyes as Locke began pontificating about his 1957 Chevy. Jones leaned toward Coco. What's the matter, Coco? That old man don't get here soon. I'll pay for the cruise myself. I hope Leo Crowley is right and Lester isn't coming back to town. Jonesy, fish face is all done. Don't worry about him. In the Colonial House's picture window, one of the Fletcher SUVs parked in front of a meter. Hamilton Fletcher, dressed in a blue suit and white tie, was accompanied by Ham in an open-collar shirt. Franny pointed at Hamilton as he passed. Jones smiled. Well, good evening, Lark, said Hamilton, and it is a good evening. But Lark was describing the aqua two-tone Chevy to Flo. I would have the boys buff that baby up before the games. It'd shine like the sunshine over Hamilton Bay. Oh, Snookum, just so poetic. Coco rolled his eyes and exhaled. Hamilton Fletcher hovered over Lark and Flo. Larson, will you get the wax out of your ears? Oh, Hamilton, Dr. Bradgate got the wax out of my ears, said Lark as he stood knocking over his coffee cup. Oh, looks like I got the dropsies. Oh, for Pete's sake, listen to me. You're going on a cruise. The Prince William Booze Cruise? I like those margaritas. Oh, Lark, you are three sheets to the wind, said Flo. I can hold my liquor, Flo, said Lark in a more authoritative voice. Listen, you idiot. You're not going on the Prince William Booze Cruise. I'm not? You're going on a worldwide cruise. <laughs> Hamilton, <laughs> that's a little costly for me. Coco closed his eyes and then walked around the support pole. The school is paying for it, Lawson. It's free? It's free, you cheapskate, yelled Hamilton. As a token of our appreciation for all your years of uh, service, said Ham. Are you saying it's, it's really free? Yes, the damn thing is free. Franny said Jones's meal in the booth beyond Leo Crawley's booth. Well, I don't know what to say. How about thanks, if it's not too much to ask? Hamilton spun around like a soldier in a parade, pontificating as Ham followed him back outside. Oh, that stupid idiot. I can't see how we ever had him all these years, Ham. Coco walked over to Jones and Franny. He sat next to Jones. Locke was now raving about his 1972 Impala. Now that gets Lawson out of town, Jonesy, for at least a month. Good plan, Coco. Clears the deck. Oh, Matthias, Father Gallagher called. He's tied up with a parishioner problem. Oh, that's too bad, said Jones. And Matthias, said Franny, take the job. Jones held his fingers as if he were pinching salt. Franny, I'm this close. Well, Matthias, I'm so happy for you, said Aunt May on the cell phone. Jones and Coco crossed the gym parking lot. Well, we've got to get everything settled. Whatever you need for me to do. You're more than welcome to come back here, Aunt May. I know. Remember what I said about leaving the nest. I will. Any more from Stephanie? Coco rolled his eyes. Well, she's hired an investigator. For what? To find you. But the man is insufferable. From Wabash Corners? No, Las Vegas. Tony Cruz. He's the most vain, know-nothing I've ever met in my life. Well, as long as they don't know where I am. Don't worry, Mum's the word. Coco gave him the sign to wrap it up. Well, thank you. I'm going into my office, he said. And then you're going to Club Max. How do you know that? Matthias, like Bill used to say, I just know. Good night, Aunt May. Jones slipped the phone back in his jacket pocket, but he heard a buzzing sound on the other side of campus. Did you hear that, Coco? 
he asked in front of the gym. I didn't hear nothing. Motor scooter. I heard a motor scooter. Jonesy, it doesn't mean it was him. They entered the gym and Jones flipped on the lights. This feels right. Just get the tickets for Gallagher. Sure, he said as they opened the side door and Carter into the office. Coco, can I ask you something? Sure, Jonesy, go ahead. How is Lester blackmailing Hamilton Fletcher? Jonesy, I don't know. But I do know that's why Lawson kept his job. And Lark is involved in the blackmail? Come on, Lawson has trouble knowing when the sun comes up. Well, at least Lester's gone. Think. Jones turned on the office lights. The yearbooks were still stacked on the desk. Jones walked over to the photographs on the wall. He removed all 16 pictures of Lester and put them face down on the shelf below. As Coco watched from the doorway, he slid a photo from his wallet and used a pushpin to attach it to the cork bulletin board. He looked at a photo of Dad taken at the football practice during training sessions last summer. Then he peeled back a post-it note from Lark's desk. He wrote onto the note with a marker and push-pinned it next to Dad's picture. Rest in peace, Bill Jones. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com. And here's a real nifty factoid. You can listen to all my audiobooks without interruption on audible.com. Just type in Robert P. Fitton. Thank you and good night.